You are listening to The Heart of Christ, a year-long podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. Throughout 2022, we will spend time reflecting on Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, so we can come to know not only what Jesus has done, but who he is. What is his deepest heart for his people, people who are weary, stumbling, sinners, and sufferers? So we invite you to grab your Bibles, prepare your hearts, and come along with us as we find rest in the gentle and lowly heart of Christ. Welcome to episode one of The Heart of Christ. My name is Keith Winder, and today I'm joined by Luke LeDuc, the senior pastor here at Wheatland, and we'll be reflecting generally on this book as an introduction, but also on chapter one here of Gentle and Lowly, which is titled His Very Heart. So thanks for joining me, Luke. Not that you had much of a choice, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, you didn't actually give me a choice. You sent me a link and said, be there. So here we are. No, I am actually uh, very happy to be here. Uh, This is sort of uh, COVID protocols here, Keith. You're down in your basement bunker at home with Mm -hmm. COVID. So uh, thanks for for, uh, persevering while you're struggling under the weight of a pandemic personally. Mm-hmm. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just coming out of it. So before we get into chapter one, in a sense, uh, as we talk specifically about these words, gentle and lowly, I wanted to ask you a broader question about sure. this book and our discipleship. And as I think about our yeah. discipleship, actually, you and I've mentioned, uh, and we've talked a bit about this, but we do want to, this is Samuel Spatola's uh, creation here. Not this book. I don't think he ghost wrote it for Dane no. Orland. But no, the idea of doing no. this uh, as discipleship for our church was Samuel's idea. And so if yeah. it does crash and burn, we have oh, a yeah. person it's, to blame. But... It's all on his shoulders. But look, before we give him all of this rave um, credit and stuff, I I want to remind us that, I mean, if those of you who know Samuel, you might already know this. He is a very, I think tight is a, a, probably not a kind way to describe him, but he is very fiscally conservative. And um, I can't help but think that that didn't play into this. It is a brilliant idea, and we are happy to do it. And Samuel introduced me to the book, and I'm really grateful for that. But I also think that part of his desire to use this in our context is that we received 150 of these free from Crossway. So don't you think, Keith, knowing Samuel the way you do, that that had to be like a deep primal motivation for for our uh, discipleship initiative for 2022? Yeah, absolutely. And also, he hates getting rid of things. So I remember when I, yes. I go to my bookshelf and I, I just as I get new books, I throw other ones out or I'd get rid of them. And he's always like, no, don't throw those in the trash. I feel he feels so guilty yeah. about it in the trash. And so for us to get these free books and then right. to let them sit in like our upstairs uh, bathroom closet for the next 10 or 15 years, he, he, he couldn't handle that. Oh, and yeah. so we this, had to use it for something. 
that went against everything that was dear to Sammy. So no, um, we are really grateful for his uh, thoughts and um, bringing this book to our attention. So uh, as much as we're joking, we are very serious in that we're grateful to him for uh, sort of putting this on our lap and saying, here's how you could do it. So thanks, Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. And this book, like it really, it took off about a year ago. So we're a year behind, but that's, that's fine. We're Presbyterian. And so right. this book really took off a, a year ago in popularity and it seemed to really move strongly in the hearts of, of readers and Christians. Mm. And so I wanted to ask you just broadly why you think the central idea that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart for sinners and sufferers. Like, wh why do you think this has had such an impact and speaks so strongly to us as Christians? Yeah, um, I think probably, I think first of all, it probably has something to do with the nature of what we all long for. Um, all of us long to be treated in this way that uh, Dane Ortland sort of talks about Jesus treating his people. And I think it comes out of probably Genesis, here, here I go again, um, <laughs> Genesis <laughs> 1 and 2, but but I think it particularly gets at, it, it, it strikes a nerve with readers and it's because um, we know how sin has worked in human relationships. And, and what we see in Genesis is it creates shame. It creates hiding initially. It creates family um family stress and strife and pride and and murder all these things that we see in genesis one to three um all of that stuff we all still feel very deeply in our own relationships hopefully not all of the exaggerated places that uh we see sin uh breaking down our humanity, but basically sin dehumanizes and we all feel that deeply. Um, and it's in this way of being, um, finding ourselves as the object of Christ's love and meekness and patience um, is a very humanizing um, counter to what we've experienced in all of our relationships. And I think it's just this thing that we all long to be uh, treated in these ways. And we wouldn't exactly perhaps be able to articulate why it is that we long for that. But I think it goes back to the way the world was created and the way that it was broken. Um, but yeah, we long for these things. I think that's the first way is we long to be treated this way. We, we, we wish that we were this way in our families, like in the places where we feel shame and we feel guilt, it's probably places in our parenting, in our relationship with our spouse or with our uh, intimate friends that we have not been gentle and lowly. And we wish we were more of that um, in our relationships. I think that's the first way. It's interesting when you, um, so I'm reading and studying for Sunday school, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, when God says, this is who I am. 
Yahweh, Yahweh, a God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's, that statement is in the context um, of Israel failing and rejecting God mm. and rejecting how he, where, where they are and, and, um, and creating this calf, sort of an image of mm -hmm. God to worship. So in this sort of dehumanized way that they're living, God responds to them in a humanizing way. Like, oh, despite all of this, yeah. I'm, I'm going to respond to you in a way that you, this, I'm going to respond to you in a way that you need, like, because this is who I am. This is who I yeah. am. I'm going to, and in a sense, this idea of Jesus being gentle and lowly is the same thing. Now, mm -hmm. despite your sin, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of the times that you uh, run away in shame or you hide from me, I'm coming to you. Uh, and I'm inviting you into relationship because I'm gentle and lowly, or I'm compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding mm. in love and faithfulness. Yeah, no, that's really good. I think that's right. And I think the other thing that occurs to me is that we all want to be treated this way. And we all seem to think that that's um, something that will intuitively, we, we understand that intuitively that sort of heart from Jesus will bring healing and restore us somehow. Um, and we, it's the thing that we struggle. And I think we recognize that. And we also recognize our struggle to offer that same thing that we so desire for ourselves. We struggle to offer that very thing to others. And um, yeah, I think that's why it's compelling is because we see how desperately we need it and we see how hard it is for us in our own places and several relationships to offer that back out to others. I think that's why it's compelling. Mm -hmm. It's built into us as, as humans that we need a savior who is gentle and, and lowly. Mm -hmm. um, but when, if I'm honest, my initial reaction when I think about a savior and a king and a Lord who's gentle and lowly is, I, it's, it's not a, initially a positive reaction for me that I, on the surface, I think, well, like, I really want friends who are gentle and lowly. I really want people close to me. I want my family to be that towards me. But when I think of a king and a leader, like I, I have... I seem to establish different qualities and different characteristics that we need. Well, that's nice as a friend, but if you're going to be a king, if you're going to lead, mm. if you're going to move something forward, you need to be assertive or maybe even aggressive. Uh, you need to be this direct take charge kind of person and gentle and lowly might be nice uh, at home, but, but what we, we need something different in a king. And I don't know if maybe that's just me, but it does it mm -hmm. seem like that to you that we've almost established two sort of uh, characteristics or qualities of what makes a good person <laughs> and then what makes a good leader. And, and then mm -hmm. Jesus seems to be knocking those down, uh, taking on that wall that's in between those two. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably right. I think that what we have come to expect in uh, our leaders or in our, our kings or in our rescuers or in our heroes, however you want to put it, um, is uh, sort of a person who doesn't necessarily consider processes, but only 
um, is able to achieve results like goals. Like it doesn't matter how goals get met. It's about the person who achieves a goal in a sense. And, and I think, yeah, we do. We have a common idea that the person who gets stuff done is the person who can sort of tune out uh, the, the vagaries of the process and how somebody might feel or somebody's feelings or somebody's reactions or responses and just push through to get something done. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's the sort of people that we value as leaders. And I think, I mean, that's clear that that's our cultural expectations of strong leaders. And there's, uh, there are some places, of course, that push back against that, um, that form of leadership. And in, and I think probably in our cultural moment, we're feeling more pushback of that than ever. So it's, it's not hundred uh, percent across the board, but I, I think part of our, part of what this book I think will do for us is help us reframe our ways of thinking about what it is we want and need. In other words, um, Jesus is what we need. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's not that, yeah. it, it's, it's that what we're learning is, and I think what we're always trying to do here at Wheatland is remind us that in spite of all of the various sort of um, trends and, and, and movements of culture throughout epochs and ages and all of that, what we're convinced of from scripture is that Jesus is the king that we need. And so if he shows himself to be gentle and lowly in heart and bringing rest for his people, then this, we have to recalibrate what it is that we've been looking for. And um, I think that'll be a challenge for many of us as well in this book is having our own concepts of leadership um, and King Jesus uh, perhaps helpfully recalibrated. Yeah, that's, that's helpful because if you think about uh, in Deuteronomy 17, when God sort of predicts the future of saying, look, you're going to ask for a king because you want to be like everybody else. Mm. And so I'm going to give you one. Um, but here are some expectations. And he sort of recalibrates their, their expectations of what a king should be like. And mm -hmm. he establishes these boundaries like, no, a king is not going to be your king should not acquire many horses like all the other mm -hmm. kings do and many wives like all the other kings do. Mm -hmm. and your king shouldn't uh, look to acquire excessive gold and silver like all the other kings do. Um, but the thing that he prescribes is that the king should be one who keeps a copy of the law and studies it mm -hmm. daily so that he mm -hmm. learns to fear the Lord and keep his law. And then I was I was reading it about it. And then the next line is that so that your king's heart may not be lifted up mm -hmm. above his brothers. Yeah. And then, and then, so then I'm reading that in light of this gentle and lowly and thinking now Jesus comes and says, I'm a king who does not have a heart that's lifted up above his brothers. Like mm -hmm. I am, I am a king who has a humble, yeah. gentle and lowly heart. And so there again, we have Jesus who comes as the, the king uh, that God says, this is like, I like what you said, because like, this is the one that you've needed all along. Like mm -hmm. God recalibrates that for Israel. This is the one who yeah. you're going to need, despite what you may think you need. I'm going to tell mm -hmm. you what you need. 
And now Jesus comes as that fulfillment. Yeah. And, and, and I think it does, it does speak to the way in which we have seen God's rescue plan for his people is always subverting the nations and the world's self-rescue plan in a sense. It's always taking it and turning it on its head, whether it's, you know, we went through Genesis and we saw the concepts that the ancient Near Eastern sort of Mesopotamian world had about gods and humans relationship to the gods and god is always at every point coming in and subverting that and turning it around and twisting it and putting it on its head and saying no here is what uh the one true god is like he is not distant but he is he is imminent or whatever it is that we saw god revealed as and here again um yeah it is this king who is being revealed who is gentle and lowly in heart and how many stories in the Old Testament um, were God trying to teach this, not only to his own people and their king, but um, other kings in the regions who would lift themselves up and be prideful and God would humble them, whether he turned them into sort of crazy people who ate grass and behaved like, a, like, a, like livestock or, or whatever it might be. Maybe some of the reason that we think initially, oh, that's not the kind of king we want or need is probably because we've misunderstood these words, that Mm. gentleness, to be gentle and lowly are often seen as, I mean, maybe not negative character traits, um, but at the very least, uh, not strong, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Uh, And so I think we've misunderstood these gentle and lowly as at the very least, a lack of strength. Hmm. Um, that gentle is is sort of uh, weakness or an unwillingness to to uh, lovingly confront uh, hmm. people, and that lowly is sad or uh, is or downtrodden all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. He's like he's not saying I'm I'm weak and sad. Right, uh, and, that, and that that that's what you need. You need a weak and sad. So, so what do you think he is saying when he says, "I'm gentle and lowly"? With those with those two words, at the heart of it, what Jesus has come to do is to teach us what it looks like for humans to live in utter dependence upon God. In a sense, mm-hmm. like if Jesus, so. God comes to us in Jesus and takes a body. And of course, the incarnation is such a deep, deep well that we can sort of peer over the side and see how deep it is, but we can never actually get down to the bottom of it. Like, this is a profound, mysterious, but applicable and relatable as the kids say do the kids still say relatable hashtag no maybe not okay anyway but the point the point that i'm getting at is the incarnation we can never spend enough time with the fact that god takes a body in jesus and what that means for us so i think what it means is 
at least in this situation of gentle and lowly of heart, what, what Jesus comes to do in remaking our humanity is at least a huge part of it is living life as a human who is utterly dependent upon God. So his gentleness or his meekness is he's being in the form of God, but did not think that equality with God was something that he grasped, but made himself of no reputation. That is sort of the, the meekness uh, and, and the lowliness and I, the gentleness and the lowliness all sort of work together to say, here is a human who will not rest on his own pride, on his own power, but will live in radically dependent, uh, live a radically dependent life upon his father. And, and I think so while he is gentle with us, he is, he is humble and patient with us, and that that affects the way we experience his love. It's also sort of this grand picture and this invitation into a life that reflects that as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's an important, important part of sort of wrestling with how we think about these words. Like, yeah, it's not that Jesus comes um, weak and, and sort of sad and, and marginalized or just doesn't feel like he's good enough or anything like that. It's he comes showing us what it looks like for humans to live in dependence upon uh, the loving uh, kindness and mercy and grace of God. Yeah, it's interesting too, because the the few verses that are before this most famous saying in Matthew 11, um, he's speaking about his interaction with the father. All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And then come to me, all you who labor. And so even in that, the context of Jesus making this statement and speaking to his dependence upon the father is, yeah, he's speaking about this triune relationship and this interdependence that right. they, and this, right. yeah, this fellowship and love they have for each other. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he says, Hey, c- come to me. So like you who are labor and yeah. working and are weary, come to me and come into this fellowship, this life yeah. of, of interdependence and love that I experienced with my father, uh, mm-hmm. c- come to that. And that, that's where yeah. you, that is the only place where you'll find rest in this yeah. relationship. Yeah. No, I think that's true. And I think this gentle and lowliness with which Jesus comes to us and invites us uh, into his relationship of dependence with the Father, um, that is such an incredible gift to us, first of all, as sinners and sufferers, because it, Jesus comes to us refusing to do to us what it is that we are always doing to one another in our relationships. And that is demanding and, and making demands upon us, making, um, coming to us, what we're always doing with others is making, uh, asking them to 
be something and do something more and better and and more um, capable. And Jesus comes recognizing that the secret to life as a human with God is this beginning of dependence and transformation that comes through the love that enables us to live differently. But we're invited into that. And um, that's what is very hard for us to do in our own relationships with others. This one final idea I want to tease out with you. Um, Dane Ortland on in the chapter somewhere, he has this quote and he says, for all his Jesus's, for all Jesus's resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. Mm. And I mean that, like I was thinking, like if this would actually take hold of my heart and my life, like that would, it would change me forever. Like this idea, mm-hmm. because like, even though, even though I know it's wrong, my inclination is still to follow Adam and Eve, like we said at the beginning and to hide from God in the midst mm-hmm. of my sin. Like, I know yeah. that's wrong, but it's still what I, it's still what right. I, I, I'm drawn to do, even though Jesus keeps saying, come to me, come to me, come yeah. to me, come to me. Yeah. And that like our only qualification, it seems like in this passage is to come with our burden. Uh, it's not yeah. to get cleaned up like we think we need to, but it's to come with our, our burden. Oh, yeah. And I think like, man, if, if we are able, like that's my longing in a sense for this whole book, for our congregation, mm-hmm. is for us to be able to grasp that truth, that Jesus, that no one in human history has been more approachable than Jesus Christ. And that not only is he approachable, but that, but that he is holy and good and he will do something he will actually is able to give us the rest that nobody else is like, that's yeah. my longing for this, for this book and this study yeah. for us. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, Keith, we've probably talked about this in, in other settings as we're thinking about what it means to um, shepherd and pastor here in our place. Um, but I, there are so many of our brothers and sisters, even here in our fellowship, who are struggling so deeply to be something and who continually find themselves not being that thing that they know they want and ought to be. And when they find themselves not being that thing, all they feel is the guilt and the shame and the weight of what they're struggling with over and over Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, besetting sins, whether it's besetting sins, whether it is um, broken dreams, uh, failed, Mm. failed realizations. Like this is who I always thought I was. This is who I thought I would be at this stage in the game. I never thought I would be talking about or wrestling with or struggling with X, Y, or Z at this point in my life. And here Mm I am. Um, and, and I think what we see in Jesus and his invitation to us to come and find rest is this invitation out of all of our expectations and out of all of those things that we um, demand of ourselves to learn what it to to learn this sort of dependence and Mm -hmm. and i think that's 
that's the thing that we struggle with the most is that we feel like at this age and at this stage, and I, I can tell you that I struggle with this. There are things that um, I feel like I shouldn't be dependent in this area still, or I mm -hmm. wish I was more independent in this arena of my life. Why is it that this is still a struggle? And almost at the, uh, at the root of all of those things, is almost always this idea that I um, should be independent in this area. Mm -hmm. And the truth is what Jesus is always calling us back to is this stark dependence upon his love to remake and renew us. And um, I think that's where that's, that's my hopes for this book is that we won't, that we won't give quarter for the idea that we are being, that we have to be X, Y, or Z, but we know that as we open our hands and open our lives to the sort of the de dependence that Jesus is inviting us to, that we will actually be transformed by his love and his grace and his goodness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the journey that Ortland wants us to go on with him mm -hmm. um and I, i'm excited for our people to experience god's love in jesus in a new way for sinners and for sinners and sufferers and i think um i've even talked to people this week who i said hey if you haven't got the book yet please get this book because what you are facing right now is whether it's their own sin and the struggle of their, or, or in, in another case, I was talking to someone who is just facing chronic suffering and, and um, the struggle to face chronic suffering with the idea that this dependence might be the sort of place that I'm being called to live over the long term. And even in that place, you will find a gentle and lowly Jesus who brings rest into those places that you can't imagine dependence would ever be rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because so much of us, we are built for the only way to find rest is to find your independence. Right. <laughs> rather than, right. rather than the other way around and, and, that, and that Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus is, yeah. Trying to yeah. crush that idea. No, it's in, in your dependence is where you finally find rest. And, and I think, of course, these, there are so many uh, messages and stories uh, that, and it's not just our modern culture. I think we probably have to move past that and realize this is mm -hmm. the human message yeah. is, is independence. Um, and it's not just a modern thing. I mean, we have new modern ways of popularizing it. That's great independence. And, and, but it, it's, it's that at has been at the crux of our struggle for a very, very long time. Yeah, that's a good word. And yeah, as we go throughout the year, I know you and I will be and, and Samuel and others, but I encourage all of us at Wheatland to be praying for each other. Like mm. part of the wonderful thing about doing something like this together is that, you know, other people are reading this book at the same time. Right. And so you right. can specifically and particularly pray that God would use yeah. this book uh, to yeah. shape and, and this, this way of us uh, 
this revelation of God's heart in a sense yeah. uh, through this book for, for us to, mm-hmm. to grow and to be shaped more and more into people who find, who depend on Christ alone for our rest as the one who alone can give us rest. And so I would encourage all of our people to be doing yeah. that, to be praying for our church yeah. as, as we and, read, as we read this book. Yeah. And, and you can get up in other people's face and say, look, this describes <laughs> you perfectly. <laughs> Repent. No, I, that seems to somehow work against, but you're right. I mean, part of this is the, the, um, the, the great leveler that this is mm-hmm. for all of us. Um, this is, there's heart, there is, there's heart, heart work to be done, um, across every level of uh, followers of Jesus who are here at Wheatland. So that is exciting. Well, thanks, Luke. I, I'm looking forward to this. I'm anticipating it. And yeah, I read the book, the book, the book, Luke LeDuke. I read the book like a year ago, but I was, I read it really fast and that's just not the way to read this book. Yeah. Uh, So I'm looking forward to reading it slowly with everybody else and looking forward to how God will use this sort of shape us more and more into people yeah. who find rest in the gentle and lowly heart of Christ. Yeah. And I and I'm excited for our monthly gatherings on Sunday evening, first Sunday evening of the month, beginning is that February 2nd, Keith? I don't yeah, know the, the date. The sixth. That's the first February okay. gathering. February 6th. February 6th. Yeah. I'm looking forward to those um because I really hope what they'll be is an opportunity for brothers and sisters to come together and share um, in really honest and and open ways sort of the challenge that this book has been and the encouragement that it's been and and just to be in a space where um, together we get to um, pursue and be pursued by this gentle and lowly Jesus who is who is bringing us all of all of God's grace and mercy. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I hope that people will come out to those and take an opportunity. We're going to have, I, maybe this has been described somewhere, but we're going to have a time like we have on our Thanksgiving service where people can just stand and share uh, the places that uh, they're finding help and challenge and rest and, and um, life through the the love of Jesus. So I I think that'll be a great encouragement to our people. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Luke. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Get better because I've got a pile of stuff for you to wait Uh, through when you get back. Uh, I'll stay here then. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Keith. Thank you for listening to The Heart of Christ podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit wheatlandpca.org.